0: Well, uh, again, good morning. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I changed what I wanted to talk about this morning, last night, so I didn't get to bed until 2. But I want to read the scripture. Um, it's Malachi 3.6 to you. Malachi 3.6 says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. And before we move into what I am going to talk about today, be, because I, I feel uh, bad for, for changing this, uh, two things. One, uh, whatever I talk about today, I can honestly say that Pastor Klein has no knowledge of. Uh, so uh, whether that's good or bad, but um, you, you know, he's, he's off the hook for, for anything that's said at this point. Uh, but, but what I was going to talk about as far as how great is our God, was simply this: The, the attributes that God has, of being omniscient, omnipresent, uh, immutable, are worth our worship. They're worth our contemplation. Uh, They're they're worth our study. The one that I was going to speak on in general was his his immutability, his inability to change. God does not change. And therefore, like Malachi 3.6 says as we read that, I, the Lord, do not change. So what? How does that matter to us? So it matters to us, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Glory be to God who does not change. What I want to talk about today is the fiddler on the roof. Have you ever seen that? That's a really good movie or really good play if you've seen it. God doesn't change. We like that because it brings us comfort. It brings us stability. It's it's good to have some things that don't change. Mankind does change. Most of the time, seems like for the worse. But if you've seen this movie, you know one thing that, uh, how do you pronounce it? Taveh? Teva? One thing that he really clings to is tradition. Tradition, tradition, right? That's what he says. He says this is how we keep our balance. Is tradition? He says we have traditions for everything in the beginning: how to sleep, how to eat, how to work, how to wear our clothes. That's what he says. Even this prayer shawl, he talks about. And how did that get started? I will tell you. I don't know, but it's tradition. That's what he says. That's what matters. There was traditions back then, too. See, there's always been traditions. As long as man has been on the earth, there's been tradition. And Jesus didn't fit the mold always. Jesus didn't always do tradition. Because he cared not necessarily about the tradition, but about what was behind them. In our world today, things are changing so fast. Think about technology. I mean, I'm I'm not... A senior saint yet, I wouldn't consider myself, but at the same time, I remember when there was no such thing as Internet. My kids will have no idea how to use a library card catalog. They won't exist. Progress, we say. We change for progress. Moving forward, we say. When we talk about change... I think it's good to remember those bracelets that are now longer, no longer in style. What would Jesus do? When we think about tradition and we think about change, We. I think we have to be asking ourselves. We have to be asking our friends and our neighbors, our our fellow Christians. We have to be asking our our pastoral staff and those who are lead, what would Jesus do? What's the answer to that? And so that brings me to the title of this message, which is The Fiddler on the Roof. And if you have a copy of God's Word, I hope that you do, Uh, you can find our place in Matthew chapter 15 as we look at verses 1 through 9. And as you turn there... um, Some traditions should be killed, others we should die for. How do we know which is which and who makes the call? And so as we look at this text, it's going to break out this way. So if I had to divide the text for you, this is how I would divide it. First, there's a why do you do what you do? Then there's another why do you do what you do? Then there's a what God says, then what man says, what you have done, and then what God will do. I think that's how the text kind of breaks out. Okay, So that's going to be our way we move through it. But before we even begin to open up God's word, I am insufficient to do so in my own power. So if you would, let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we praise You and we recognize Your greatness for You are God and Savior. We praise You for this biblical text. We thank You that this is Your Word. As we talked about this morning in Sunday school, this Word is breathed out and inspired by You. God, as we come to you corporately as a body of believers, we confess our sin to you. We confess to you that we do not love you and cherish you and honor you in the ways that we should, to the degree that we should, and we constantly fall short of your glory. Romans tells us that, that none have even sought after it, and it is only by the saving, atoning, sanctifying work of your Holy Spirit through the power of Jesus Christ that we can even begin to even come to you now in prayer, let alone open your word and preach it and discuss it and think about it as it ought rightly to be handled. So we ask that you would help us, that you would forgive us, that you would be with us, that you would anoint our ears to hear, that you would anoint this poor soul to preach as we talk about tradition and change and what is right or what is wrong or just what is, that you would help us to be discerning and wise, that you would help us to be humble and teachable, that you would guide, direct, and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask that in your name. Amen. So which traditions should we kill, which should we die for, and how do we decide? Well, firstly, as we go to the text, uh, we see the why do you do what you do question. Well, why do you do what you do? And so Matthew 15, one through 2 says, uh, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. That's tradition. It's the tradition of whom, though? It's the tradition of the elders, it says there. And it's not a bad tradition. Washing your hands before you eat is the tradition of many here today, I would assume, right? And so it's, it's, about, it's about just the general good hygiene of the body. But for them, it was about more than that. It's about ritual cleanliness. I mean, these, these are Pharisees we're talking about here. They, these were the elite of the spiritual world, the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees. And so these guys obeyed the letter of the law to a T. All of them. So they thought. And so they were asking him, why is it that you're breaking this tradition? Why are you guys not doing what is to be done, is the question. I remember who's saying this. These men are asking Jesus, why do you do what you do? And the fiddler on the roof, again, he says, why do we do this? I will tell you. I don't know. Speaking of the prayer shawls. Why did the elders, why did the Pharisees uh, wash their hands before they ate? I would argue it is not simply for the fact that they live in a fairly filthy society at that point in time. I would argue it's much deeper than that. I would argue it's because they are thinking of things wrongly. I find the proof of that as we continue down. Jesus tells them, My hands aren't the issue. In verse 11 of the same chapter, he says, it's not what goes into somebody's mouth that defiles them, but what comes out of the mouth is what defiles you. And so I, I love the way that Jesus responds to, to criticism. I love the way that Jesus responds to, uh, to, to the challenge of his authority. And I think that for us, beloved, that's something that we ought to also keep in mind. Jesus knows who it is that they're attacking, And so he responds with a question. So they say, why do you do what you do? And he responds simply the same way. Well, I'll tell you what, why do you do what you do? And so that's the question that he asks in verse 3. Jesus replies, and he says, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? And what he's doing there is he's stacking up. And he's asking us the question. So so I want to ask you the question. Are we giving weight to the right things? Are we giving weight? The gravitas in the Greek, right? Are we giving the gravity? Are we giving the contemplation? Are we giving the the obedience? Are are we giving the the self-denial? Are we giving our lives for the weighty things? The things that last. The things that matter. The hills to die on. He compares this with a command. Is it tradition or is it a command? Beloved, I come to you preaching a text this morning that I am fully aware you will probably not ask me to come back again. <laughs> and I say any of the things that I say simply because I love you. And if your conscience is convicted this morning, I'm begging you to understand it has nothing to do with the words that I say, but simply by the working out of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus replies to them, you're equivocating tradition with command. Where are we putting our weight? The commandment of God or the tradition of men? So let us define commandment, if we can. And so if you were here this morning, you're already familiar with these scriptures. If you weren't, then then I'm going to give you a quick 100 mile an hour approach to what we studied this morning. Psalm 19, 7 through... Now now listen, if you're a note taker, I'll say the verses twice for you to write them down. If you're a Bible flipper, good luck, okay? So... (laughs) Psalm 19, 7 through 11. Again that Psalm 19:7 through 11 it says the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple the precepts of the Lord are right rejoicing the heart the commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes the fear of the Lord is clean enduring forever the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether more to be desirable than gold even much fine gold sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb moreover by them your servant is warned in keeping them there is great reward and in 2 Timothy 3:16 through 17 which maybe some of you have memorized 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and is active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, joints and marrow, and the discerning the thoughts and the very intentions of our hearts. And then lastly, 2 Peter Chapter one verses nineteen through twenty-one. Second Peter chapter one, nineteen through twenty-one says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever. Produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is why, beloved, in Scripture we see over and over and over again as the prophet speaks. They end with, thus saith the Lord. The difference between commandment and tradition is vast beyond measure. So let us define tradition. Tradition is something mutually accepted by men. 1 Corinthians 10.23 says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Tradition is also invented by man. Commandments were given by the Lord, but traditions are accepted by man and invented by man. And I would argue that by that very nature then, traditions in and of themselves are always meant to change, evolve, or adapt. There was a, there was a newly married couple. And, uh, and she was going to have her first family meal. And perhaps some of you women remember the stress of what that brought to you as you're entertaining the family. And, and so, this, this young woman was getting ready to, to cook the ham. And she, she took the ham and, and she sliced the end off of the ham and then put it in the pan and, and put it in the oven. And as her, her newly married husband saw her do this, he asked, Why did you slice the end off the ham? And she said, that's that's how you cook the ham and they kind of went back and forth for a little while and and she finally agreed but you know what i'll just ask my mom she'll tell me why we slice the end off of the ham and so they they came over and then they ate and they enjoyed fellowship together and then and then eventually she pulled her mom to the side and she said mom why why do we slice the end off the ham and she said i i don't i don't know it's what we've always done you'll you'll have to ask your grandmother and so the young lady uh, goes and, and visits grandmother, who was not able to make it to this, this uh, gathering, and she goes to her grandmother, and she says, Grandma, uh, I, I was just cooking your, you know, your, your recipe for the ham, and, and I, I sliced the end off, and my husband doesn't think that, that I need to do that. Can you tell me why we, why we slice the end off the ham? And the grandma chuckled a little bit, and she said, I never had a pan big enough. <laughs> And so Jesus asks them the question, why do you do what you do? What weight are we giving these things, commandments or traditions? And so then thirdly, that brings us to what does God say? Well, in Matthew chapter 15, as we go back to our text for this morning, God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. No loopholes in that. Can you imagine if children's discipline today looked like the prescription God gave? I can tell you we wouldn't have four of them sitting here, that's for sure, probably, right? <laughs> but what we believe about God and about His Word matters. I mean, did you, did you hear the scriptures that, that I told you? And hopefully if you're taking notes that you're writing them down, that God's word is is pure, it's reliable, it's inerrant, it's authoritative, it's, it's, it's inspired, it's not written just by men, it's not subject to change, it is what it is, what it is, what it is. And it doesn't matter if I don't agree with it, or if my heart longs for it to be something different. I don't have the opportunity, I don't have the authority to come to it and say, I don't like that, so I'm going to mark it off the Page. That's God's word. It's His command. Do you believe these things on God's word? I mean, do you in practice? Not just in theory. Because it's really easy for guys like me to stand up on things like this and, you know, beat their fist on it if you're a Southern Baptist guy and, and, you know, get a Hanky if you're sweaty and stuff, and and talk about all these uh, lofty ideals. But in practice, I mean, do we believe God's word is authoritative? I mean, do we believe that God's word is inerrant? Do we believe that it's infallible? So that's what God says, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses your father and mother is to be put to death. Remember, these are scribes and these are Pharisees. And here's what man says in verses five and six. But you say, but you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, and I want you to notice the quotes there. Just you know, you can almost picture Jesus with his with his air quote. Jesus probably wasn't sarcastic, just because I don't picture him being that way. Um, but but if we were to read this in, in our own eyes, we would see this as, as maybe the, you know the sarcastic air quotes there. But when you say whatever is meant to help your mother or father is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Now six continues on, but I want to focus on up to 6a and i think the slide has that well that's okay so you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to god then they then they don't have to that's the loophole there you see here's what man says now we're talking about something that's kind of arbitrary for us right we're talking about something that's a little Removed from our society today. But the point of the matter is is still holds true. The point of the matter is this Uh, man changes God's word to what is convenient and what is cultural. That's what we do. And we see that in our society. It's convenient and it's cultural. It's convenient for these guys to dedicate what they dedicate to God. Why? Because they're men of the cloth. I would assume that you pay Pastor Klein. And I would assume he's, he's, he's worth his weight in gold to you and that you cherish him dearly. But it would also it would be wrong for Pastor Klein to say something like, you know, whatever you guys were going to pay for the electric bill, we're going to devote that to God. And so therefore, you know, it's kind of convenient. All of a sudden he gets a pay raise. Or whatever you were putting into feeding others. It'd be really convenient for him to pocket that instead. Because after all, we're going to devote it to God. It's convenient, culturally, for these people. And it's culturally accepted. Because remember, there's other Jews who are going to these people and who are holding them in high esteem and saying, yeah, that's all right. You see, we have convenient and cultural things happening in our society too. If you don't want to get your toes stepped on somehow this morning, then you can plug your ears, I guess. But some culturally convenient conundrums we face today are issues with homosexuality, with women in ministry, in different positions, with abortion, in politics, with impurity, with gender equality, with uh, reassignment, just all... I mean, it's with, with all kinds of things. You understand, I hope, that there are churches that are splitting over what color carpet to put in the sanctuary or whether to have pews or chairs or whether to sing contemporary music or hymns and instead they are neglecting the weighty things of God. They care not if you don't preach about sin and about hell and about Jesus. They care more about how many people are in their pews and how much money's in the coffers and what kind of image they're giving to the rest of society than they care about what god's word says may it never be said of this church or of any that i am held accountable for may it never be said of your pastor pastor klein that he would always preach the full counsel of god regardless of what that makes him look like in society's eyes what weight are we giving to god's word culturally convenient for us to change this message my church would be bigger we'd get more in tithes I may even get a radio show or be able to write books so in verse 6 the second half it tells us what we've done when we do that He says, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. The word means to void it. What it means is to take away the authority of it. So we'll have people say things like, well, you know, aren't aren't you kind of being a little nitpicky here, Jesus? Uh, I mean, aren't you kind of, you know... How did you put it before? You you know, um, straining out the gnat to swallow the camel? Didn't you? You know, aren't you kind of doing something like that, Jesus? It seems like that, maybe. We're kind of splitting hairs, hairs here. But if Jesus is saying you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition, in John 1 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so when we nullify the word of God, we nullify God. So, what have we done? What has the church become? Where are we simply practicing religion? See, each church has got its own hang ups. Your church has got different hang ups than mine. I don't know what yours are, but you do. At what point do we just decide, you know what, I'm all in, whatever that means. God's word matters. It's our measuring rod. It's our authority. It's how we practice what we ought to practice. Some traditions don't matter, though. And we have church splits and we have fights over them. Here's the weight of this. You know, I'm fully aware that at at this point, like you, you guys don't really know me. So go back to your Bibles. Here's the end result. And I and I want you to understand the depth of this result. Matthew 15, 7. Through nine. So here's what man has done. And when man does that, here's what God will do. He says, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. And then this is Isaiah's prophecy over them. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. There's that word, vain. That word vain means to no end. It means worthlessness. If you're here this morning and you're practicing religion, you're here because it's tradition, you're in real danger of going to hell. If you're here just going through the motions, just showing up because that's what you've always done or because that's what mom and dad has always done or because that's what grandpa and grandma have always done. I just need for you to really come to grips with the fact of what God's word says. It's not me. It's not my desire. It says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain and their teachings are merely human rules. This is the vanity of traditionalism simply for tradition's sake. I hate it when people in my church, if I'm seeking to, and I call it my church, it's not even my church, it's God's church. I hate it when people in the church that God has put me as a a shepherd over, when they come to me and they say things like, well, we can't do it that way because we've always done it this way. And my response to them is simply this. I love you. Prove to me that that's more biblical. And we will keep it that way. And there needs to be grace among us. If it's simply a matter of opinion, and it's your way or this way, and it doesn't really matter, then guess what? The Bible tells us, prefer what the other prefers. Put yourself last. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. If you are the one who's always coming to the leadership to say, we need to do this because this is what we've always done, I want you to take a serious look in the mirror of Scripture today. This is the body of Christ. Yet like an ingrown toenail, we want all of the attention. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So the question that I had as we seek to close, I'm doing really good on time. You guys are lucky. Usually I'm like 45 minutes at least. (laughs) So what I say? Some traditions should be killed and others should, be, should die for. So which should we kill and which should we die for and how do we know? I'm, I'm equivocating and so I want to make that really clear because people are going to be confused and they'll be like, well, what are we talking about? Are we talking about tradition? Are we talking about commandments? Are we talking about, I don't know, you need to decide. Because what they've done and what I'm afraid that we so often do as religious people is we often make a tradition a commandment. And what we do is we make the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not have chairs in the sanctuary, it shall be pews. That's not a commandment. Right? Or, or are there the King James only churches. And if you're a King James only person, glory be to you. I mean, that's fine, but there's other versions of God's word out there that are, that are helpful. It's not the 11th commandment. And so I'm equivocating traditions and commandments here. And so so here's the answer to my question. Which traditions should we kill? Which should we die for? How do we know? Well, the first is, is kill the traditions of man. Kill the traditions of man. Or at very least, examine them by the word of God. And then the second step is die for the commands of God. What hills do you die on? You die on the ones that are written in his book. What promises can you take to the bank? The ones that are written in his book. And then lastly, know the difference by his word. Examine them. When you leave today, what you ought to be doing is looking up everything that I said and making sure I'm not spinning a yarn. You ought to be checking me. I hope that you were taking notes and saying, I'm going to go back and look at those scriptures that he was using as references. Do they even say that? How do you know if they weren't on the screen? So in The Fiddler on the Roof, uh, Tevye. Tevye says, because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects of him. And then he says, without our traditions, our lives would be as shaky as... A fiddler on the roof. You know the sad thing about that is? He meant every word of what he said. That for them in that culture and for that movie, the traditions are what made them understand who they are and what God expected of them instead of saying this book lets me know who I am and what God expects of me. And the traditions that we may or may not have at this church or at my church or at the church down the road, those are all fine, well, and good. But if that's where we find our identity and not in the identity of Christ, if that's where we find our, our relationship with God and not in what God's Word says, then we are missing it and we are in severe danger of eternal damnation. Just like the Pharisees. And if you base your world on opinions and circumstances and preferences rather than the word of God, your life will be as shaky as a fiddler on a roof. I don't want to end with the fiddler on the roof. I would rather end on God's word. In Jeremiah 7.23 it says, But this command I gave them, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. Let's pray. Oh God, our exalted Father we so often have the propensity to serve ourselves and not you. And we so often have the propensity to serve ourselves and not others. God, we praise you for your long-suffering, for your patience for Your grace and Your mercy on us when we continue to sin against You and we don't even see it because we're blind to it. May it not be said of us, Lord, that we were practicing a religion and not pursuing a relationship with the Almighty God. May it not be said of this church that what they give to the community is mere religion, but rather they are... they are extolling and, and proclaiming the glories of a risen Lord who has made atonement for sin. That they are giving the full truth of the gospel and that that is the hill they die on. That we would proclaim from the rooftops that sin that we are all guilty of has separated us from a good, righteous, holy God but that you loved us in spite of ourselves and in spite of our wickedness, you sent your son to take on flesh to live the life that we could not live and die the death that we deserved. And that because of what Christ has done, the payment has been made. And more than that is sufficient and satisfactory to you. And if we so choose to humble ourselves before You and accept the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus, You welcome us with open arms and You look not on our sin, not on our defilement, but only on the precious blood of Your Son, Jesus Christ. May that and the victorious life through the continued work of that Gospel be what this church, this people, this town hears from the heralding cry of which we give. In Your name we ask this. Amen.